I kind of consider myself a biologist. And in, in, in a sense, we all are. We, we observe systems and then we learn from how the system is working. And Mother Nature, of course, is our most perfect system. Her purpose is to keep the system going, keep us alive and healthy. And so she's the one that we can observe the most. Hi, I'm Emily Abbott. Welcome to The Brain Possible, the podcast. I believe that one of the most valuable gifts that you can give your children is the gift of hope and possibility. Hope to fulfill their dreams or to achieve all that they want in this life. Hope to walk independently. Hope to speak. Hope to have a conversation with you and to be able to tell you what they're thinking out loud. As for possibility, imagine that anything is possible, if only you have the faith to believe it. Your journey to become more empowered, informed, connected, and free from limitations starts now. We're so happy that you're taking this journey with us. In my very, very early years of practicing medicine, right after residency, of course, the number one topic that a pediatrician has to deal with is ear infections because everybody knows that children get lots of ear infections. And they're all on, as my husband used to say, pink refrigerator baby medicine, otherwise known as amoxicillin. It's just the way it is. There's also another basic principle in pediatrics, which is if they're running around the room, they're not that sick. Mothers know this, fathers know this. Children may be vomiting and diarrhea and snotty noses, but if they're eating and sleeping and relatively happy, they're not that sick. Here I was, a new pediatric resident, and I I saw the kids and they had colds and whatever, And they may have had a bad night and they come in the next day and saying, I think my child has an ear infection. So I'd look and sure enough, the ear ear was red and like the good pediatrician that I was and how I was taught, I prescribed amoxicillin. So then I had them come back in two weeks and frequently the ear was still red. So the kid was feeling fine. The, The ear didn't hurt anymore. They were running around the room. But then I gave the second antibiotic because the theory was if the ear infection hadn't gone away, then the the organism was resistant to that antibiotic. So you give another antibiotic and then you bring them back in two more weeks. And if it hasn't gone away, you would give a third antibiotic. So generally it was amoxicillin, septra, or it has other names. And then the third one would have been augmentin, which is an enhanced amoxicillin. And then if it's still not good, then they go to the ear, nose, and throat doctor for those little tubes that everybody hears about. So it was at that point, again, that I was pretty disillusioned, and I didn't really just like giving antibiotics. And I had heard that in Europe, they were not treating ear infections like we treated ear infections. And Mostly they didn't treat them and they just observed and most ear infections went away. So I thought, well, let's try that. I told the parents, your child has an ear infection. Here's the prescription in case you need it. Let's not treat for 24 hours. Treat the pain. We don't want your child in pain. Ibuprofen or acetaminophen and let me know. 
I brought them back again in two weeks. Almost all of them never needed the antibiotics and the ears were fine. So that was a big wake up call for me. Like maybe I don't need to treat these ear infections. I started doing that. I want to introduce homeopathy a little bit here. Homeopathy changed my life. I started understanding how organisms work, how a body gets sick and how a body gets well. One of the principles that we learned in homeopathy is symptoms are very important for any organism. It's the way the organism speaks to us. In homeopathy, we say it's the language of the vital force. So you listen to those symptoms, first of all. And secondly, you don't suppress them. You don't stop them because it's the body's attempt to heal itself. Let's go back to ear infections. The usual course is a child gets a cold. You know yourself at the beginning of an illness, you're achy. You maybe want to go to bed. You don't feel good. And then maybe a day or two into it, you start feeling better and your nose starts running, but your energy's better. That's when children get ear infections, when they're in that expectoration phase, when their body's putting out snot and they're coughing it up. The body is trying to put it out through the eustachian tube, which drain into the middle ear space. That's when the child lying down flat in the middle of the night, all that snot, not even going to call it pus, I'm going to call it snot, <laughs> is sitting in the middle ear space, lying down, pushing against the eardrums, which have stress, stretch receptors and pain receptors, and the child wakes up screaming because they're in pain. That's when a parent first knows that their child has an ear infection. At that point, in the middle of the night, usually, unless you have other tricks, all you really want to do is prop them up and give them something for pain, either ibuprofen or acetaminophen. Now, when you understand homeopathy better and you have other modes, there are other things that can be done. But for a parent at home with no other tricks, just get them back to sleep. It was beyond my wildest imagination when we started doing this integrative pediatric thing and we all decided myself and my two partners, that we weren't going to treat ear infections with antibiotics unless the child actually looks sick, like they had a fever and they were lethargic. That's a whole different story. But most children with ear infections don't look sick. They're just in pain. So you treat the pain. And then we started using something called mullein garlic ear oil, which at any you can get Whole Foods or natural food store. You can make it yourself. Uh, I have not tried. Apparently, there's some talk about maybe not using raw onions. So I'm just going to recommend the proprietary mullein garlic or ear oil. Mullein is an herb that is called a mucolytic. It crosses the tympanic membrane, the eardrum breaks up the mucus, and then the garlic, which is in the onion family called allium, is actually a natural antibiotic. Crosses the eardrum and starts doing what it does. And bet between the pain management and the garlic mullein ear oil, 99% of our kids get over ear infections with no antibiotics. The best part that I didn't know wouldn't, would happen is they don't get recurrent ear infections. They don't get one after another after another. My, my belief is that because we allowed the body to complete the process, we didn't suppress symptoms. It didn't need to do it over and over and over again. We haven't destroyed the gut biome with our antibiotics.
The new pediatrician that we're seeing here mentioned that they always prescribe oregano oil if there's an ear infection. And I said, I had never heard that one before. I know oregano oils ingested in like little tablets, but I didn't know that that was good for putting in your ear as well. We use oregano, like you said, orally. Uh, it's, it's also a good antiviral and antibacterial. I feel like most essential oils are safe, especially if they're diluted. I, I wouldn't put it directly into the ear, but a few drops in a little bit of oil. It probably does traverse the tympanic membrane, the eardrum, and has an antibiotic effect. So uh, I think that's really interesting. And I'll look that one up. Like I said, I learn integrative medicine from everybody. Why are children more prone to getting ear infections than adults? I think it's a couple things. One of plumbing, their tubes are smaller, their eustachian tubes are smaller. The angle that the eustachian tube makes from the face to the ear is, is a little sharper. That varies with families. They get a lot of colds. They Snot is part of childhood. I think that's mostly that, the frequency of colds and the their actual anatomy. And then you, you mentioned children with special needs. They often are lying down more. Children who are severely impaired, handling secretions can be a big problem with them. Some even need to be suctioned frequently. I had one child in the practice who had Down syndrome, a very healthy little girl, but a very knowledgeable mother who taught me so much about Down syndrome. Pediatricians and mothers alike know that children with Down syndrome are very prone to ear infections, and I think it's anatomical. So we prophylactically put tubes in this little girl's ears rather than take the chance of having to give her antibiotics. If one has a child with frequent ear infections, I personally would go straight for the tubes, not going through multiple rounds of antibiotics because they do work. Anatomically, they work. That's what you recommended and we did with Carter. I remember you were also bringing your concerns with maybe if he had frequent fluid back there that would impair his hearing as well. That's an interesting subject too. So for a special child, a special needs child where they're lying on their back a lot and there's a lot of mucus, we don't want all that mucus in there and we want to maximize all of their senses. So we don't want them listening through mucus. We want their hearing to be maximal. That's a special category of children. There's, there's another category of children that aren't special needs who, for whatever reason, just don't drain that fluid very well. There, there's a belief in pediatrics that if it stays in there for a protracted amount of time, that it will destroy the bones in the middle ear space. That is possible, but I think we don't often give the kids enough time to clear the fluid before we either give antibiotics or, or put the tubes in and we don't look for other causes. So I did mention colds as a cause of fluid in the ear, but there's also children who have allergies to milk, to gluten, to environmental allergens that are causing a lot of mucus and therefore chronic what we call serous otitis. And those kids, if we can't find the cause of the, the chronic serous, then I do believe that tubes are the way to go for those kids. What should I do if my kid's eardrum ruptures? Is it dangerous? The, the other thing that we know about the body is it's very good at 
spitting out things that it doesn't want. If you get a little splinter under the skin that you can't get out, if you wait a few days, there'll be a little pocket of pus. You pop that and out comes the splinter. When you get a boil or an abscess, if you just wait long enough, generally the skin thins and it pops and the pus comes out and everything gets better. If you imagine a child who's had frequent ear infections and we've been suppressing them with antibiotics and ultimately the body says, all right, I'm gonna take matters into my own hands. I'm gonna get this pus or snot out myself. The body thins out the eardrum and causes a little perforation and out comes the pus. In our practice, we get a lot of kids in from other pediatric practices who have been on antibiotics. And when their first ear infection comes along in our practice and we don't treat it with antibiotics and probably more frequently than others, we see perforations. Most pediatricians would immediately put a child on antibiotics, but this is what the body knows it needs to do. We just let these kids drain. It's like a natural tube. And eventually, once the body's done, and I'd say 90% of these kids, ultimately, the pus stops draining, the hole clears up, and they never get another ear infection or rarely get another ear infection. This is a healing crisis for a child that's had multiple ear infections. Almost always, these holes heal up. You know, we're talking to a, a diverse audience here and it's difficult to do these things on your own, maybe a little perspective would, would be helpful. If an eardrum ruptures, do you recommend that someone go in and get that checked out? Everybody has their own pediatricians. You might discuss with your pediatrician what you heard on this podcast. And if the child doesn't have a fever and otherwise looks well, you could say, you know, I'd like to try this without. I'll make sure that we don't get water in the ears. In this case, you would not put mullein garlic ear oil in the ears if there's a perforation. You wouldn't put anything in the ears. You would just let them drain. Occasionally, a pediatrician would want to put in some topical antibiotics. We haven't found that to be a problem. So you could put antibiotic eardrops in, but I would not use systemic antibiotics for a perforated eardrum. And you really don't need the, the topical ones either, but I don't think they cause harm. How long you recommend if someone notices that their kid, they suspect an ear infection, there hasn't been a rupture, how long do you think that they put the drops in? First of all, um, the, it feels better if you warm the ear oil and, and you don't want to destroy it by boiling it, but you could put it in a glass of warm water or we even ask you to tuck it under your armpit. It's a very motherly thing to do. And once it's close to body temperature, Usually we put two or three drops in. It's mostly going to run out anyway. So you just need to put enough in to bathe the eardrum in the oil. And we usually do it about three times a day. But I just want to say, if you think there's a perforation, we don't want you to do that. Mostly children are only in pain for 24 hours. If it goes much longer than that, I'd probably get, get it checked out. But the symptoms of an ear infections are one, they come in conjunction with a cold. This is a middle ear infection. This is called otitis media, acute otitis media. The other kind of ear infection that we need to distinguish, and we won't do that now, is external otitis or swimmer's ear. And a mother or father can do that also, usually without the help of a pediatrician, but we're talking about otitis media. So the child usually would have had a cold. 
the child's very snotty. They may have a loose cough, but they don't have a fever. Perhaps they woke up in the middle of the night saying their ear hurt, or perhaps it's a younger child and they're just pulling on their ears or they're not themselves. And you just suspect it's an ear infection. You could go to the pediatrician or you could say, I think it's an ear infection and my child looks fine. And then at that point, you start putting the ear oil in two or three times a day. You can assume by four to five days that it's better. It may not be perfect, but it's better because the child is acting fine. They don't have a fever. They're running around. And then you could stop the drops at that point. Usually by a week to 10 days, the ears are perfect. One other little point I just thought of, if they said their left ear hurts, I would put it in the left ear first, but then I would put it in the right ear also, just because it's very possible that one has fluid also. It just doesn't hurt them. So good to put it in both, but put it in the bad one first, just in case they won't let you put it in the other one. You talked about some of the most common antibiotics used by traditional medical doctors for ear infections. What are the side effects of those medicines? Antibiotics were and continue to be a huge gift to mankind. I love to read, and there's some wonderful history on the development of antibiotics and what life was like before them. So I'm not throwing out the baby but the bathwater. <laughs> I, I, I just don't think we need them as often as we do. The answer to the question is, I think most parents know, diarrhea is very common, particularly with amoxicillin. So what, what we're doing is we're not only killing the good germs or the bad germs, excuse me, we're, we're wiping out the flora in the intestines. That's a major side effect of any antibiotic. Also, amoxicillin frequently causes a rash, which we consider an allergic reaction. And then resistance, things like methicillin-resistant staph. What that means is MRSA, Everybody's heard those that acronym. Methicillin is an antibiotic that was developed for an organism called Staph aureus. We gave it so often that the Staph aureus became resistant to it. And then we had to develop more and more and more and more antibiotics. We're creating problems with the overuse of antibiotics. Are there other long-term effects on a child's body from antibiotics? The answer is definitely yes. And the body has an amazing ability to heal itself. So say a child has been on multiple antibiotics for ear infections and they have chronic diarrhea or food allergies or gut dysbiosis as a result of that, just by stopping the antibiotics, you're about 80% of the way. Then we're back to food as medicine, bone broth and sauerkraut and minimal sugar and real food. Between stopping antibiotics and food as medicine, most children can be, if you will, rescued from a difficult situation. Do you recommend probiotics at that time? Let's say your child uh, is on an antibiotic and needs to be. Generally, that's twice a day. So we recommend probiotics in the middle of the day. I think probiotics or probiotic foods, probiotics are excellent. I don't have a problem with them. Is there anything that parents can do to avoid chronic ear infections? I think every parent needs to know how to use a bulb syringe for infants. It's such a simple little thing, but before you actually use your bulb syringe on your infant, if you put some solution in there first, like 
nasal saline or breast milk. It's more effective. It fills the airspace. You suck out the liquid that you introduce and then a lot of snot behind that. Babies are what we call obligate nose breathers. If they can't breathe through their nose, they don't open their mouths and they're miserable and the snot drains into the middle ear space. So I think using that would be very, very useful. An older child propping up, listening to the vital force. If the child says, no, I want to lie on the side that hurts, let them lie on the side that hurts. If they're saying, I just need to go outside for a few minutes, this will lead us to the correct homeopathic remedy and the vital force is telling you what to do. Each ear infection is individual and characteristic. We need to listen to that. How do you heal from chronic antibiotic use? When one really wants to heal their gut, you need to take on a bit of a, a detox or a cleanse where you actually eliminate all sugars from your diet. We're talking about people who know they're not well and they need to heal their gut. It's a big conversation. There is a, a diet out there called the GAPS. It's a takeoff from, from the Weston Price diet, which is something that I mentioned before, bone broth and fresh fruits and vegetables, not so much fruit. It, she starts out very restrictive and then adds more. If one does have a very bad gut and needs to heal, that that's a whole nother topic. That's a place to begin is looking at Natasha Campbell McBride's GAPS diet. When you have a tool chest that includes mostly antibiotics and steroids, then you have to have a model that fits that treatment. When I saw a child that was coughing up a lot of gunk for weeks or the nose was running for weeks, at that point, I called it something. I called it a sinus infection or I called it bronchitis. So if I, if I could delineate it as an itis, an inflammation, then I could give antibiotics, which was really all I had to do. I would just be patient and tolerant with some of these illnesses that children in particular particular have, or we as adults have, we're very quick to go to the doctor and say, I've been coughing for weeks and I understand that's a problem and one needs to look for other ways to treat it. But generally antibiotics are not needed in these situations. So I think a little more tolerance and patience with our symptoms before quickly going to antibiotics ourselves, asking the doctor and then the doctor prescribing them. So that would be a little food for thought, so to speak. One person asked me today, their child was diagnosed with, you know, several different conditions, autism, ataxia, and maybe a, a brain injury as well. And they're just starting to learn about this holistic way of bringing ourselves back to health. And they asked me, what is brain food? I would say fat, just to name one fat that we found very interesting for both Alzheimer's and autism, and I believe they're related illnesses, is MCT oil, medium chain triglyceride oil. And we've actually been using that in the neonatal intensive care nursery for decades. When the preemies need some extra fat, we can put that in the IV or we can enhance their formula with MCT oil. And this particular oil crosses the blood-brain barrier and goes right to the brain. So it's a great thing to add to your food and your cooking and fat. Traditional cooking. Back to the basics, exactly.
For more on Dr. Woodard and Pediatric Alternatives, please visit pediatricalternatives.com. That's it for today. If you have a chance, please rate and review. This episode was filled with definitions, descriptions, and references, so you can keep doing your own research and bring this material to discuss with your own healthcare practitioners. Healing doesn't happen overnight. Take it one day at a time, or even one hour at a time. Have faith and ask yourself, what is possible? Stay hopeful and remember, we'll be here for you every step of the way.